Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hi again, friends. Welcome back to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here uh, with Pastor Frank Friedman in warm, sunny uh, Tucson and uh, humid and sticky South Louisiana, respectively. How are you, my friend? Well, it's a calling. It's a calling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I was called there for a lot of years, too. And boy, it's nice to be uncalled. <laughs> well, friends, we have been uh, just taking our first steps into this brand new series. It's Frank's and my take on life in the body of Christ which we call the one another's. If you missed the first episode, please go back. We made some interesting comments in the introduction. And we spent some time talking about our first one another, which is to show humility to one another. We're going to continue today with the, hopefully a few more. We'll begin with number two, Frank. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. This one is prefer one another. And this comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 10, where Paul commands us. And remember, these are not suggestions. These are not encouragements. These are imperatives. These are commands because this is how God created us to be in Christ. He says in Romans 12, give preference to one another in honor. Now, I looked up those words. It means to place value on somebody, to appreciate them, to cherish them. Frank, why do people need to be appreciated and cherished? It seems like we're overly indulging them, right? The world tells us, suck it up, be tough. But here is Paul telling us to appreciate, place value on, and cherish one another. Wow, John, there's so much I could speak into that. 40 years of ministry. Um, you know, I, I think we have to realize the reality of what scripture teaches about the condition, not only of the world we live in, but the people who live in that world. Uh, there is, first of all, a great big universe. I think of Psalm 8. You remember when David looked in the heavens and he said, oh, my goodness, God, why do you even think of man? We're so puny. Of course, instantly the Holy Spirit says, don't think like that. Man was created to reign with God in majesty and honor and dignity. Uh, but the problem is man threw all that away in the fall in the garden. And so every human being is birthed into this world, not knowing God, not living from God, living under the economy or system of the law from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do this. Don't go here. Don't go there. We all fail. And then you have mankind's laws where I'll accept you only if you do this. And 
we start, and then we've got the enemy who's the accuser of the brethren, the slanderer. And then we've got false views of God, that he's this angry despot with a hammer waiting to squash you every time you fail. And so that produces fear and shame and guilt. And this is what humanity's living under. And so when the scripture says, boy, take the opportunity, you know, to tell people who they are, to exalt them, to encourage them, uh, to share with them the work of Christ on their behalf, that, that they're accepted, that they're loved, that they've been made right. This is huge, John, because there are so many other voices that are tearing people down. Uh, boy, I just had a verse pop in my head. Is Proverbs 18. And there it said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, I think in our original creation, we were designed only to speak life. But because of the fall, every one of us has the potential to speak death. And I think as humanity, we speak a lot more death to others than we do life. And so Paul is calling us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to turn that around and become agents of life instead of agents of death. And we can do that with our tongue. Oh, yes, indeed, we can. I want to ask our listeners to just stop and pause for a minute and think about how the world treats people. Uh, real simply, the world disregards people. The world devalues people. The world says you're important only because of what you do. Mm. And so if you stop doing that, well, suddenly your importance begins to decline. You know, that's kind of why I think, Frank, we, we've embraced abortion because, you know, fetuses do nothing for us. While we disregard our elderly because, well, they don't do anything for to enrich my life. Mm. And then we have this crazy mindset of uh, that man is a product of evolution. If you know anything about evolution, uh, we are nothing in their eyes, but the best product from a billion bad mutations. It's like we're making a human using the pinball approach to see what's mm. best. Uh, but, you know, God says, going back to the Psalm 8 uh, passage that you referenced, in that passage, the Holy Spirit says that God made man a little lower, and you know where I'm going with this, a little mm -hmm. lower than the angels. That's a horrible word the real word is elohim and it's the name for god in mm. genesis the creator god and so god created us to have incredible value just because we're his mm. and that is just so opposite to what the world will have us believe that in mm. god's eyes frank his children are crowned were crowned with glory and honor uh, they have dominion no, we were God's emissaries to the entire creation. And how does the world treat us? Mm. Uh, like a used up, disregarded, worthless piece of rubbish. Mm. Wow. That's why Paul says so strongly, give preference to one another. Honor one another. Wow, man. What a mm. sobering message. Yeah, and you know, I think, John, when we will fulfill that in our lives by releasing the life within us that does that, we will have such power 
to transform people's lives. And we'll stick out like a sore thumb to the rest of the world. Years ago, I read of a study, I can't recall where exactly it was, John, but it was a study done in the late 80s, early 90s of a particular school district. And they tested the children in kindergarten. And it was something like 95% of these kids had a positive self-image. And they tested that same class at 18 years old, graduating from high school. And it was like 20% of them had a positive self-image. So they went, uh-oh, what's going on? Very lengthy study. So they went into the classrooms of all the different ages. And what they discovered was that for every positive comment a child got, they were receiving 14 negatives. Uh, that's a messy paper. Oh, you got that wrong. Uh, this And this constant barrage of negative. And these sociologists went in and they, they said how this was so devastating to children, because they have a thesis that for every negative comment we hear, we need 10 positives to overcome it. So if somebody comes up to me on a Sunday morning and says, well, it was the worst sermon you ever gave, Frank, I'm going to need 10 people to come up and say, that was really good. <laughs> but when you do the math, for every one, we're supposed to get 10 and they were getting 14 for every negative. It's 140 to one. I mean, it's no wonder so many people are struggling with their self-image and feeling insignificant that they're not worthy, they have new, no value. And as new covenant creations with the life of Christ, we can have a huge impact to turn that around in people's lives simply, uh, not by charming them, uh, charm is deceitful, but by speaking the truth of what God says about them. You know, poor self-image, as you know, my friend, uh, isn't the property of the lost world only. Mm -hmm. It is uh, throughout the body of Christ. Uh, it's, it's a struggle that all of us have because every time we don't perform just precisely up to perfect par, the enemy is right there saying, bah, you blew mm -hmm. that one. Oh, mm -hmm. my bad. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the messages are nonstop from every corner in the body and outside the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. But the truth, my friend, and, and this is a truth that I don't believe we teach nearly strongly enough, maybe because we don't really understand it in the church. In Romans 8, Paul says, when God justified us, get this, Frank, he glorified us. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. He didn't just make us right in his eyes. He gave us glory, a reflection of his glory, but it's our glory too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like what we lost in Eden when we said yes to the lie. Mm -hmm. In Christ, God has restored that and more. Mm -hmm. No, because in Eden, we were innocent. Now, Paul says we are glorified. Boy, you know, if we, if we would teach that in the church, if we'd recite it to ourselves... Uh, repeatedly, maybe it start to sink in. Mm. You know, John, I think that's especially true because, you know, when we, when we transformation is not just taking place through embracing the truth, 
but it also takes place by rejecting the lies that we used to believe. And that also includes rejecting the feelings that we have. You know, in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, it says, we have been made adequate, capable, right. Uh, to put it in the vernacular of the day on a scale of 10, you and I in Christ are tens. That's who we are. But what happens when I act like a three? And what if I really act like an eight or a nine? I still may feel like a one. And it's, it's a lot of work to say, no, I know how I feel. I feel like a one, but the truth is I'm a 10. And I think it will really help others in their journey if we will speak to people what God says about them. No, you are a 10. What you did, yeah, it was a one, but that doesn't determine who you are. You're a 10 who had some temporary insanity and didn't act like who you are. But that's not who you are, that behavior. You are in Christ. So this is just a huge, again, an opportunity for us to fulfill the call for life to beget life. And, you know, John, if I could add one more thought, you know, I spent a lot, spent many years in seminary and it was good, it's profitable, learned how to parse Greek verbs and Hebrew verbs and church history and all that. But if somebody were to ask me my number one takeaway from seminary, it was my sermon prep prof and he pulled me aside and this is what he said. He said, Frank, you're going to get in a pulpit. You're going to look out among a crowd. You're going to see the CEO, the high-powered attorney, uh, the marketing firm guy, the doctor, uh, all those kind of things. You're going to see the, the housewife. You're going to see the janitor. He says, Frank, don't look at those facades. Strip them off and look at the human hearts that are having to live in a world they weren't designed to live in. So they're encountering what they were never designed to encounter and speak to those hearts. That's really what this prefer one another is all about. It's uh, speaking what God says about them to them. And we're the ones who get to be the vessels to do that. That's right. What a privilege. Yeah, yeah, what a privilege. And it's a challenge, though, too, my friend, because, oh, yes. well, gosh, when you when you look at some people and you see what they say or how they behave or uh, what have you, it's hard to give preference to them. But here's a here's sort of a little, I hate to say a trick, because it's not a trick, because it's just exercising my mind in the truth. When I see that, I ask myself this question. This person who's just so rude to me in church today, they are a glorified saint in the kingdom. Yeah. And so will I willingly step aside for a glorified saint in the kingdom? You know, it makes me begin to think differently about honoring others when I see them that way, because that person who was just acted like a jerk to you, that saint is a princess, a prince in the king. They're kids of the king. And I remember back when Princess Diana was uh, marrying Prince Charles. And all America way back then was just glued to the television to see all the pomp and circumstance and the honor and esteem they gave to those. 
And so that's kind of the idea that goes into my mind. Do I want to treat them in the, in the way, in, in the manner of the royalty that they are? Am I willing mm. to humble myself and say, yes, they are a glorified saint and that's how I'm going to treat them. Mm. Wow. So I got a question for you, bro. Mm-hmm. How do you treat the drivers on the freeway in Baton Rouge? <laughs> because I've driven with you and I know the truth. Oh, John, you know, it's uh, I, one of my statements I make is human beings were never designed to have that much power and speed at their fingertips because it will manifest their foolishness and stupidity <laughs> and selfishness. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's hard. It is a very difficult thing to treat people according to who they are when they don't act like who they are. That's right. So it's but, a command, bro. Doesn't, yes, sir. It doesn't fall in naturally. We gotta say yes, sir. I'm gonna walk in. St- I'm gonna do this because it's the right yep. thing to do. Yeah, and you know, one of the things, John, that we want to stress, I think, while we're going through this series, is this is. Uh, not a call to perfection in these arenas, but the direction we're working on it. Uh, And I think that we don't ever want to portray that we have it all together because we don't. We're all in this walk of faith, learning how to walk more intimately with our Lord Jesus. So if we're nearing the end here, I will share a funny story. I was going down Perkins Road with my daughter, Morgan, And this lady, there was no traffic. She looked right at me and pulled right out in front of me. I had to slam on the brakes, screeching, swerve right to get around her. And I, some words popped out of me. Oh, my. Oh, yes. And I got up to the red light and I looked over at Morgan and I said, oh, no. And I said, Instantly, I prayed out loud and said, Father, I am so sorry. I was wrong to do that. That's not who I am. And it wasn't a good example to Morgan. Uh, Thank you that I'm forgiven, which I already am. And Lord Jesus, with your help and your guiding me, I'm going to learn to trust you better, even in situations like that. Well, then I looked over at Morgan and I said, baby, I'm really sorry. Your dad was a bad example. He doesn't normally do that. And John, you know, Morgan, she's the one with the photographic mind. She said, well, dad, on the country, six months ago on Highland Road, eight months ago on Airline Highway. And she starts wrapping up a list of where that behavior had occurred. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, you know, one last, <laughs> yeah. uh, one last thought about what you just said, Frank, before we wrap up this one another, is that when we don't prefer one another uh, we're undermining our own identity yes, we're presenting true. a lie about ourselves and we're presenting a lie about our savior mm-hmm. uh, because choosing not to prefer is not just a preference it's a sin plain mm-hmm. and simple and so we all need to be reminded that in christ you know we are imp- not called. I don't like that word called. Mm-hmm. We are empowered to honor, to affirm, to encourage. Uh, you put in whatever verb you want. Speak the truth about these folks and remind them who they really are. Because that's the picture of Jesus. As we learn to live from who 
we really are That's in right. him, in him who is our life. That's right. Yep. So listeners, you can tell that while Frank and I can speak authoritatively on these things, uh, we aren't very good examples at times. <laughs> <laughs> We're still learning. Let's move on, bro. Uh, this is one another number three. Uh, this one I really like uh, because I think I'm good at this one already. This one is <laughs> greet one another. Yeah, the first two I was bad at. Uh, this one is greet one another. And this command is so important that it's mentioned four times in the New Testament. And each time, this is interesting, Frank, each time it's to greet one another with a kiss, a holy kiss. Mm. So I looked up this word greet, and it's not just say, hey, how you doing? It means, uh, it means something like this, to welcome someone, to accept someone, to receive them joyfully and sincerely into your presence. Because we want to communicate belonging. Wow, that's mm. a really clear picture. My Frank, Frank, my mind goes back to you because every time you and I are together, which is not all that often, mm. the first thing you do is you give me this huge bear hug, mm. uh, this, this linebacker bear hug. <laughs> uh, and so instantly I feel welcome. I feel accepted. I, re I feel received. I feel like I belong there. Mm. You know, wow, what a picture, Frank. Is that why you do that? Or you're just trying to squeeze the air <laughs> out of it? <laughs> no, John, you know, one of the things that I've taught over the years, and the longer I live, the more I teach it, I believe with all my heart that acceptance is the greatest power on this planet. It is love, the noun, in action. Um, and I, like you said, acceptance communicates belonging and belonging is the great need of the human heart. You know, you look at a little kid and they need to know two things in their family. They need to know that they belong and they need to know where they belong. And this same vein would be with a body part. That body part belongs. In fact, if it doesn't belong, uh, you could be in real trouble. So this is a great gift that every one of us uh, can give to others in the body of Christ is to make them feel, put tangible meat on the bone to the gospel. They are accepted. They do belong. Because the great cry of the human heart, I believe, is, is there anyone out there who will love me, accept me, uh, believe in me? And, and that's what we can do. John, I don't say this to, um, you know, you know me, I, I don't, I don't I'm not about tooting my own horn, but one of the things that I do on Sunday mornings is I'm at the front door. I want to extend greeting to every single person when they walk through that door. I think it's the greatest ministry of the local church when people have been slugging it out all week and they walk up. And I want them to be greeted with a heart that's saying, boy, I'm glad you're here. Now, I don't go to the door at the end of my sermons <laughs> because, you know, I'm not interested in hearing that. Boy, that was really good today. That's not what I want to be about. I think it's more important to start that time off well, that they have slugged it out in a fallen, crazy world. But on that Sunday morning, 
they're coming to a place of belonging. It's a huge ministry. Yes, it is. And you know, Frank, as I think about this, and I've been to a lot of churches over the years, the world does this much better than the church does. Mm. And you remember this television program, maybe 40, 35, 40 years ago, called Cheers. And I remember <laughs> the theme song. And, uh, you know, I guess mm. I could invite you to join with me as we sing. <laughs> but it's a place where everybody knows your name. So I want to take a moment and just recite, just read through one little chorus. Because, boy, does it ever nail the biblical idea of greeting. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where people know that people are just all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Frank, when I think about that, uh, what does that song communicate? It communicates exactly what greet means, that we're welcomed, that we're accepted, we're comfortable. We can go in there, my friend, and our guard is down. There's, there are no pretenses. We don't have to put on airs. When you're sitting there, your job, your income, what have you, they don't matter at all. You can just be yourself. And boy, the world just offers so many places for this, so much better than the church does. Yeah. And it shouldn't be that way. No. You know, I have a lot of people, John, that come to me and that when they visit Grace Life and, and they'll say, wow. This place was so friendly. It was so warm. It was so embracing. I've been going, looking for churches and I walk in the door and nobody even greets me. And that's sad. And, you know, John, you quoted that theme from Cheers. The first part of it is really powerful as well. I think that song, I'll try to do it from memory. Uh, making your way in the world today takes everything, everything you've got. got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Boy, that's what the church needs to try to accomplish. That on Sunday morning when, or anytime the body of Christ gets together, that you've come to a place that's a safe harbor from the storms that are out there in this fallen world. It's a community of, of the yeah. life of Christ, which is a life of love and acceptance. That's right. Um, you know, people may ask, well, why are there bars on every corner? Well, now we know. Mm. Because when you walk in, there's camaraderie. Uh, mm. There is more so than anything, a respite, from the trenches of everyday life. Mm. And boy, uh, the church often doesn't do a very good job. Now, I'm not saying the, er the churches should open up a bar, or what have you, although who knows, maybe some would. But <laughs> the point is that those places offer something that people feel they really need. You know, Proverbs 31 is a really practical chapter. It says, Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and give wine to those who are in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So they come there 
as you said, to take a break from all their mm. worries. Uh, wouldn't it be cool if the first place we went to when the sky was falling was to run to a group of believers who could do that for us? Mm. And you know, John, if we ran with that illustration just a little bit, uh, the alcohol, the wine, the strong drink is temporary, uh, but the life of Christ lived out in community can be a perennial experience, a perpetual experience, uh, because his life never leaves us or forsake us. All we lack is the opportunity to express it. That's right. And so one more point I want to cover here, and that's the part about the holy kiss. Mm. Now, uh, we said greet each other, but, but scripture says greet each other with a holy kiss. So I've been thinking about that. Now, as you know, uh, my family is Sicilian, and as growing up as a little child, I kissed everybody, <laughs> every relative, even the old grandmas with Italian ladies with whiskers. I kissed them. I, I mean, I kissed people who were just family friends. Kissing was common. As mm. I've traveled all over the world in many parts, uh, kissing on one cheek or two is just common. Of course, not when mm -hmm. you first meet someone. But once you get to know them, they'll kiss you. And in fact, I remember trying to struggling to remember which country I'm in because some countries kiss on the right cheek first, some kiss <laughs> on the left cheek first. And so you don't want to be a flub. But the point is that that is an instant communication that, hey, I accept you. Uh, I've got a brand new family here. They're welcoming me. There's something about the intimacy and the welcomeness of a kiss that says, hey, I'm not an outcast here. Mm. I'm part of this group. They know my name and they're glad I'm here. Wow. Mm. So some years ago, I started, Frank, as I will hug people, I will kiss them on the side of their head. Uh, no one's ever told me not to. Uh, so I'll keep on doing it because I love them and I want them to know that they are welcome uh, in my presence. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to make people feel under compulsion to do oh, what heaven, you're doing. So I think in the culture, what we want to say is within the culture, use whatever means that culture normally uses to extend a a greeting of acceptance and belonging. You know, it's funny, John, I was reflecting on that while you were teaching, because I'm from a family that hugged a lot and kissed a lot. Uh, the handshake, you know, I, I, we were settled largely by the British. And if you think about a handshake, I'm extending it to you, you're extending it to me, but that handshake keeps us both at a distance. Yeah. <laughs> it's, hello, we're British, don't get too close. <laughs> I, I like you, but I'm not sure I love you. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not dissing the handshake. I'm just saying, uh, it's interesting that the many different ways we have to communicate belonging. I, the point is, I just don't think we take advantage of them as much as we should. Indeed. And communicating belonging is more than just a gesture. It's more than just a word. It's an attitude in us. It's a mindset in us. We talked last time, Frank, about how we need to take the lead on these, on these initiatives. Because I'll guarantee you that uh, very few people are going to come up to you 
and make you feel really welcome. Mm. And so you're going to have to take the lead on that as well. So mm. that's yeah, right, because we're, we're equipped to do that. He, Jesus yes, died and gave us that skill set. We you already equipped. have it. You already have that life that reaches out to others. You know, John, as he's talking, I popped a, an old adage popped in my head. I went out to find a friend and there was no one there. I went out to be a friend and friends were everywhere. So it's not so much that we go looking to get as so much as expressing and giving what is already ours. And it will impact the world. It does. Now, we're going to startle some people because, frankly, such expressions of of warmth and welcomeness and acceptance uh, might be strange to some. That's okay. Mm -hmm. I do them anyway because that's who I am. All right, my friend, we don't have enough time to go to number four. So we're going to stop right there, and I'm going to give you a last chance to make some final comments. Oh, John, as you were saying that about people feeling uncomfortable, there was a gentleman, you know who he is, in the assembly at Grace Life, and he was very much a legalist, and uh, I would hug him all the time and it was so uncomfortable for him uh, he would he would chuckle you know and pat me on the shoulder but he was kind of saying I really don't like this but uh it was kind of like hugging a tree and I kept on and kept on and finally that man started to hug me back and then it wasn't long before when I'd see him he would extend his arms before I could extend mine and he was loved into becoming a lover. Uh, and that's what you know. this is all about. This is not about conformity. It's about life begetting life, the life of Christ that's in us, begetting that same life, drawing out that life that is in others. So powerful. Yes, sir. Amen. Okay, dear friends, thanks again today for joining us on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Frank and I have been chatting through the one another's Uh, which is our unique, vulnerable, humorous, uh, practical take on life and the body of Christ. Uh, Please check out our website, ourresolutehope.com. View some of the resources we have there. Uh, Sign up for our newsletter. We've got lots of things to share beyond what we share on this podcast. Uh, Become a member of our website. It's free. You'll get lots of interesting stuff that uh, run-of-the-mill folks just don't get a chance to, to, to see and to hear. Uh, Check out some of the books we've got on Amazon. Just search under the name Frank Friedman. And of course, follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music. Frank, I don't know if I missed any, but I think I got them all. And as always, uh, we close with this very same reminder because it's an important one. It's one that we use on ourselves all the time. It's from Hebrews chapter six. We remind ourselves that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Uh, Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. It's a steadfast, immovable, foundational, you ain't going to touch this kind of hope. It's solid. That hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope. Choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to our Resolute Hope podcast. For more information, find us online 
at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.